If you've been a regular at the Banner Lectures, you know that the Civil War is by far one of our most popular topics. So I'm not surprised that we have a good turnout today for another lecture that is partly about the Civil War. But more than that, it's also about Moses Ezekiel. He was the first Jewish cadet at VMI, and he fought in the Battle of Newmarket in 1864. Robert E. Lee encouraged him in his artistic calling, and Ezekiel, Ezekiel went to Europe where he garnished numerous awards and, and honors. In fact, few sculptures of the 19th century were as well recognized as he was, although he is very little known today. Today, Keith Gibson will draw on his biography of Moses Ezekiel to bring to life this luminary of the 19th century art world. Colonel Gibson is executive director of the museum programs and architectural historian at the Virginia Military Institute. He graduated from VMI and did graduate work at James Madison and George Washington Universities. He is also a graduate of the Seminar of Historical Administrators, the nationally acclaimed leadership program for museum professionals. He's been a consultant on numerous historical documentaries and frequently speaks on historic preservation on radio and TV. He's the author of many books and articles on the Civil War era and VMI including his latest on the topic of today's lecture. And of course, he will be signing copies of his book in our museum shop after the lecture. So please welcome Keith Gibson, who will speak on the subject, Moses Ezekiel, Civil War Soldier, Renowned Sculpture. Keith? It is always a privilege to have the opportunity for such a worthy occasion to come back to the city which I spent a good bit of my life growing up here in Richmond, Verina to be exact, uh, in Henrico County, most of you know where that is, being back in the holy city to talk about a, a great uh, 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 shared uh, member of that community. Uh, the. Uh, I, I want, before I forget, I, I wanted to uh, mention Herb and Millie Heltzner who are here who have done more, I think, than anyone, including myself, uh, I, I, I act, eagerly recognize, uh, have done more to keep Ezekiel's memory alive here in his, in, in his native uh, home uh, than anyone else. And I, and I know the family, appreciate that interest and in, in effort. The holy city, I mentioned, uh, a while back, I was on the phone talking to a colleague uh, at a museum out in another part of the country, and, and he was saying, well, well Keith, where did, where did you start out? Where did you grow up? And I said, oh, uh, I'm, I'm from the Holy City. Uh, and he said, and he pauses and says, you're from Boston? <laughs> and, no, the other Holy City. Uh, his works are found in the United States Capitol Building, major museums in America and Europe, public parks throughout the nation. His, he was knighted by three European heads of state. He received prestigious awards for his talents. Yet today, the name Moses Ezekiel is all but forgotten in the world of art. Ezekiel was born here in your community, October the 28th, it was, 1844, He's seventh of 14 children born to Jacob and, and Catherine Myers de Castro in their house that you probably know the area down on 17th Street. It's between Maine and, and Franklin. 
uh, near where the railroad YMCA is located and the farmer's market today. But more importantly, I think, for the family, it was one block west of the Masonic Lodge to which George Washington had belonged. Ezekiel's family were members of the Kahal Kodesh Beth Shalom Synagogue. It was founded in 1789. It was one of the original six colonial congregations to receive the promise of President Washington's assurance to bigotry, no sanction, to persecution, no assistance. This made Washington a particularly favorite hero in the Ezekiel family. Now, in the years before Ezekiel's birth, his father, Jacob, was a thriving dry goods merchant, a member of the local militia company. He was also very active in religious toleration efforts. And in 1844, the very year Ezekiel was born, Jacob was leading the fight in Virginia to grant equality to those who worshipped on Saturday, a recognition that came, in fact, the very following year. By the late 1850s, the Ezekiel household had experienced financial reversals, I think I could put it, mainly because of the goodwill of his father, wishing to help uh, less fortunate members of the family. Uh, And some of those bad debts, unfortunately, didn't materialize for him and affected them. Young Moses went to live with his grandparents, also here in Richmond. Although his grandmother would initially recoil from the fledgling artist's early attempts to mold religious themes, such as uh, one titled Moses Receiving the Laws at Mount Sinai. Indeed, when the clay model uh, collapsed in the backyard, she declared that divine intervention. Uh, (laughs) Nevertheless, though, as grandmothers tend to do for their favored grandsons, she would buy him and encourage him in his interest. She bought his first oil paints and encouraged him to take lessons. Today, one of Ezekiel's early paintings, uh, only I used to say only one of his early paintings was known, and but now I'm delighted to tell you that a yet another has surfaced. Uh, one of the good things to come out of this humble little book uh, that uh, I worked on uh, that recently came out on Ezekiel is that folks are bringing new awareness and attention to, to heretofore unknown pieces of Ezekiel's work. This particular piece, perhaps uh, uh, inspired by a scene on the James River in, in Ezekiel's youth, uh, Uh, is now a part of our official collection at VMI. And another, uh, which just came to our attention recently, of all places, was in a home in Lexington, about four blocks away from VMI. Uh, And uh, we visited the owner one Sunday afternoon after a lecture like this one, and she says, I think I have one of those Ezekiel paintings. And indeed she did. Uh, And now she has made arrangements for it too to be added to our collection. So now there are only two known paintings of Ezekiel's, his early interest in art being manifest. When the Civil War erupted in the spring of 1861, Richmond was plunged into the excitement and the confusion of becoming a veritable military camp, a story you are intimately familiar. That summer, the Virginia Military Institute Cadets arrived from their college in Lexington to serve as drill instructors for the thousands of would-be Confederate soldiers pouring into the capital city. The VMI cadets were the darlings of the Confederacy, as one newspaper reporter phrased it. Perhaps it was their presence for 17-year-old Moses Ezekiel that inspired uh, by the cadets' sharp drilling and colorful uniforms. Perhaps it was Ezekiel's inspiration from his own father's service in in the militia. 
But whatever the reason, Ezekiel made his mind up to become a cadet at VMI. Declaring that she would not have a son who would not fight for his home and country, Ezekiel's mother admonished her son to learn to be a, a good soldier. And he became the first Jewish cadet in the fall of 1862. I have to tell you that he wasn't particularly academically or physically prepared, but Moses did his best, as we all do, not to disappoint our mothers. On one occasion, a fellow cadet, however, wasn't particularly impressed with Ezekiel's best efforts. He could never chisel himself into being a pretty soldier, wrote cadet classmate John Wise. Uh, the, certainly the Wise family is a name recognized here this, today. His body thick-set. His legs were very short. In fact, he looked like a tin soldier that had been broken in the middle and mended together with sealing wax. I resented bitterly the fact Corporal Wise went on to say, I resented bitterly the fact that of all the corporals in the, in the Corps, he was the only one I outranked. Surely Wise felt he could do better than that. Well, art would not be the main focus of Ezekiel's VMI routine, as you might expect, uh, with one, I think, important exception. Every day as the cadets formed in the front of the barracks, the seven-foot bronze statue of George Washington looked down upon them. The statue was a copy of Houdon's marble likeness found here in your city. Ezekiel didn't record his impressions of that particular work of art, but it's easy to think that for an aspiring young sculptor, Washington's statue was a model for more than simple service to country. Three events, in fact, in Ezekiel's cadetship I believe can be directly identified as greatly influencing his life in art. The first occurs on the long, silent night of May the 14th, 1863. As Corporal of the Guard, Ezekiel stood watch over the remains of former Professor Thomas Jonathan Jackson Stonewall, as he was known by the world at that point. VMI professor had left his post before Ezekiel had arrived at the school, but any cadet, indeed any soldier, would have held that night's vigil in the highest honor. In later years, Ezekiel would be commissioned to execute two bronze statues of Stonewall. Here is one being uh, put in place in 1912 on the grounds of the Institute, perhaps one that you have seen and visited uh, uh, in your travels to Lexington. The second event, exactly one year to the day after Corporal Ezekiel stood guard over Jackson's remains, occurs. On the 11th of May, 1864, the VMI Cadet Corps was called away from its schoolwork to join the ranks of the Confederate Army. The Confederate Army was headed down the Shenandoah Valley to repulse an evading Union force. Eighty miles and four days later, Ezekiel and his fellow cadets would turn the tide of battle and achieve a victory for the Confederacy at Newmarket, Virginia. Casualties among the cadet ranks were high, second to any unit in the battle. Ten cadets were killed. Forty-seven others were wounded. And when the guns finally felt silent on that Sunday afternoon, Ezekiel searched the battlefield for his missing roommate, Thomas Garland Jefferson, descendant of the third president. Ezekiel found the mortally wounded friend. He borrowed a cart and moved Jefferson's body to the Kleindienst home in the village of Newmarket. Two days later, in the waning hours of life, 
Tom Jefferson asked Moses to read a passage from the New Testament, John 14:2, one I'm sure you're familiar with. In my father's house, there are many mansions, and I go now, I go to prepare a place for you. Ezekiel cradled young Jefferson in his arms as life slipped away. Within five years, the memories of Jefferson still very fresh. Moses Ezekiel created a moving allegorical bronze statue that he titled Virginia Mourning Her Dead. The clay model would remain in the artist's studio for over 25 years before VMI called upon Ezekiel to provide an appropriate monument for those who had died during the war. Today, at VMI, Virginia Mourning Her Dead stands watch over the grave of six of the ten cadets that were buried, including appropriately and fittingly the grave of Thomas Garland Jefferson. The third event that I would point to that helps shape young cadet Ezekiel uh, in his life as an artist came by way of encouragement, uh, encouragement from Robert E. Lee. The Lee and Ezekiel families had been acquainted uh, prior, and after the war, Lee became, as you well know, president of the other college that we have in Lexington. I think it's called uh, Washington Reformatory or something. Uh, it's It's a private school, as you know, Uh, And it it adjoins VMI today. Uh, Before Ezekiel's graduation, he went to call upon General Lee to ask for fatherly guidance, perhaps. I hope hope you will be an artist. It seems to me as you were cut out to be one, commented Lee. Earn a reputation, however, in whatever profession you undertake. Earn a reputation in it. It would, in fact, become the great disappointment of Ezekiel's professional life that he would never receive the commission that he desired, perhaps above all others, that is, to create a monument to his hero, Robert E. Lee. Well, Moses returned to Richmond briefly to attend the medical college where he studied human anatomy, a step he felt vital to the correct sculpting of the human form. In the summer of 1870, he departed for Berlin, sort of the, the seat of, of higher education for aspiring artists uh, of the time. Soon he was sc- studying sculpture with Rudolf Simmering, gaining a mission to the highly selective Berlin Academy, an accomplishment in its own right. Ezekiel studied under Albert Wolf. These, uh, this, their, their stimulation and influence would be seen throughout his entire body of work in later life. At age 29, Ezekiel became the very first American to receive the coveted Michael Beer Prix de Rome, which entitled the young artist a stipend for study for two years in that ancient city of art interest. His his, uh, entry for that competition, Israel, reflected one of the artist's main uh, 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 work interests really throughout his productive career, that is of religious freedom. The relief is eight feet by six feet, explained the artist, and its conception rather an historical poem. Israel, represented by the strong male figure in the attitude of compliance and despair. On the left is a female figure bowed in grief, representing Jerusalem. To her right is the last Jewish king reposing on his broken scepter, And where his blood is spilled, a tree grows up in the form of a cross upon which Christ is nailed. 
Ezekiel established his studios in the centuries-old baths of Diocletian, a crumbling ruin with its towering vaulted ceilings. All of that appealed to Ezekiel's romantic notions. A friend stated that the studio was a stupendous spectacle, strewn with mighty monuments of the past, a wilderness from which nothing springs but grass, fever germs, and noble thoughts. For the rest of his life, Ezekiel would make his home in the ancient classical city. The baths and an audience with the flamboyant president would become a must-visit for Americans touring Europe. Many of Ezekiel's works can be found in the images that we have in our archives of his studio. Let me tell you about a couple of them. The independent order of B'nai B'rith called upon Ezekiel to create a colossal marble monument called Religious Liberty for the 1876 Centennial Exposition in Philadelphia. Ezekiel quickly agreed to do the work. It would take two years, he informed the committee, and $20,000. My conception of the group, explained the artist, was to make a large, the largest marble statue in the world. I wanted to depict liberty panoplied for war, but covered with a mantle of peace. At her right hand stands a nude boy representing that, that faith in a higher power, which is inherent in the souls of all men, Ezekiel explained. Her left hand would be, would be resting upon the, the bound stage of the Union and the Constitution, the Constitution, which says, Ezekiel reminds us, Congress shall make no laws respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. At the base, I place the emblem of America, an eagle on the lookout for all adversaries, and strangling with his talons an immense serpent symbolizing intolerance. The 73-ton statue proved a challenge, not only to sculpt, but to ship to the to Philadelphia. In fact, it was delayed and didn't arrive until the centennial celebration was completed. Finally, on Thanksgiving Day of 1876, the work was unveiled in Fairmont Park near Philadelphia's Museum of Art today. The statue was moved to its current location outside the National Museum of American Jewish History in 1986, just a few blocks from the Liberty, Liberty Bell, appropriately enough, I think, uh, where you can visit it today. It's been totally restored. 73 tons of marble. Ezekiel was, was successful in creating the largest marble sculpture in the world. The work, in, in fact, exceeded the in intentions of the patrons. Yet, for Ezekiel, he, he commented in his memoirs that he was, it was a disappointing experience. It cost me too much in, mor in, in morale and physical suffering ever to be forgotten by a human being, he cryptically recalled years later. I can only surmise that part of the suffering was most likely due to the fact that it took him five years to receive his payment. That was also a bane of Ezekiel's artistic career, getting paid for works of art. He constantly complains about it in, in, in his letters. The Corcoran Gallery of Art uh, now the Renwick Gallery that I'm sure you, many of you have visited in Washington, D.C., was founded by William Wilson Corcoran, who had retired from a successful banking career in, in, in New York and needed a place to put his private collection of art. In 1859, he commissioned prominent uh, architect James Renwick to design a building uh, of the Second Empire style, as you see here. It was styled after the Louvre. Well, who could do better than that? 
Throughout the 1870s, numerous improvements were made. One of them would be to add 11 Carrera marble statues to be mounted on the exterior facade in niches on the second floor. The seven-foot-tall statues represent the great artists of the Western world through history. Ephradius, uh, 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 Michelangelo, Rubens, Rembrandt, Raphael, Titian, uh, Dürer, uh, Da Vinci, uh, Murillo, Canovia, uh, Thomas Crawford, Raphael. The earliest were completed in 1879, but by 1884, the last of the statues had been installed. By 1897, the Corcoran Gallery Collection had outgrown its building, and land was purchased to create a new building, uh, the, the Corcoran Gallery that we know today. The statues were not included in that new building, and they were put, placed in a, uh, a, a lot behind the structure, just out in the elements. Well, Ezekiel's 11 statues were removed and placed in this lot when they were discovered by Mrs. Evelyn Walsh McLean, heir to the Washington Post and proud owner of the Hope Diamond. Uh, she bought all of those statues and placed them around her swimming pool, where, in fact, she was noted to swim wearing her Hope Diamond. Uh, but who wouldn't if you had the Hope Diamond and, and surrounded with uh, Ezekiel's statues? In 1948, her estate was auctioned, along with the statues, uh, and they began a convoluted journey, which is detailed in full in the book that I won't labor you with now, but it ends in Tidewater, Virginia, at the Norfolk Botanical Gardens. These pieces today uh, are the subject of growing interest. This Carrera marble is very susceptible. It's the same, in, in fact, Ezekiel prided himself that he used the very same quarry that Michelangelo had used for his marble, uh, but it is a very soft, porous uh, marble that is very uh, uh, regrettably responsive to the elements. And many of the pieces uh, have show the, the very serious damage that has resulted. Here is Thomas Crawford, for example, who, one of whose great sculptures is found in the Richmond Square uh, of George Washington's statue, a piece by Crawford. Uh, and you can see the ravages of time and the elements here. But there is a project underway to reverse this, to have the statues restored and perhaps replicated. In 1899, Ezekiel was commissioned by Louisville, Kentucky to create a likeness of one of the artist's great heroes, Thomas Jefferson. It had been Jefferson who had pinned, as you remember, the Statute of Religious Freedom and, of course, not to forget the Declaration of Independence. And it was more importantly, perhaps, personally, that it was the dying grandnephew of the president that Ezekiel had held in his arms after the Battle of Newmarket. Ezekiel decided to represent Jefferson differently than he had ever been rendered by an artist up to that time. That is, Ezekiel would model him as a young man in his 30s at the age when Jefferson wrote the Declaration. Jefferson mounted uh, 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 on top of the, uh, a, a vision of the Liberty Bell, winged by four female figures representing human freedom, justice, religious freedom, and liberty. This is the uh, dedication of the uh, uh, Louisville uh, statue, and you can see this uh, wonderful little girl here participating. Probably one of their great memories of her life, I'm sure in a brand new dress, perhaps purchased just for that occasion as she helps pull the drape off of, of Mr. Jefferson. Uh, 
Well, it's not just Louisville, Kentucky, of course. All of you uh, uh, UVA alums that might be here today recognize Mr. Jefferson here in front of the rotunda. This heroic bronze of Jefferson was dedicated at the commencement ceremonies in 1910. Was anyone here? Probably not. Uh, Ezekiel's good friend, fellow Virginian Thomas Nelson Page, uh, ambassador to Italy, uh, had been the first to suggest that a copy of the statue be made for the university. Page convinced uh, uh, the, the, the college, as well as a number of benefactors, to pay for the casting and the shipping and the installation. Ezekiel donated his design and the model. The artist was present and called upon to comment on the work at the dedication, and he said the following, I owe the gratitude to all who feel that I am worthy to have my work placed where the spirit of Thomas Jefferson hovers and where it will ever be. Jefferson, that sunless father of thousands of the best representatives of Virginia. I love that phrase, the sunless father of thousands. Thousands being, of course, some of you, I'm sure, in this room. It's not just Jefferson, of course, that adorns the campus there. Oh, by the way, it's been a popular meeting spot for, for, WNL, I mean, for UVA students uh, over the years, as you see represented here. That type of thing wouldn't dare happen at VMI. But it's not just Jefferson that we find uh, adorning the grounds there. Blind, Homer, and Guide. Ezekiel's work was already known at UVA, you see, earlier, because Ezekiel had created this grouping of Blind, Homer, and Guide in 1881. It remained in his studios until a fellow named William Simpson of New York commissioned the artist to make uh, a relief. And uh, even though Simpson was an alumnus of Amherst, he was so impressed with Ezekiel's works that he purchased this statue and said, I will arrange to have it placed on any college campus in America where you, Moses, would like for it to be. And Ezekiel said, I would prefer it be at the University of Virginia. And so it became its home. Homer and Guide was unveiled on a rainy Monday evening, June the 10th, 1907, during the alumni festivities. Neither Simpson nor Ezekiel was there, but Ambassador Thomas Nelson Page spoke on behalf of all Virginians. Well, the offer to create perhaps what is, uh, by the way, that's, uh, Blind Homer has also been a rallying point for, uh, for uh, various interest groups at the university over the years. The offer to create what many believe is the artist's greatest professional and personal accomplishment, the Confederate monument at Arlington Cemetery came while Ezekiel was visiting Washington, D.C., in 1910. That work, commissioned by the United Daughters of the Confederacy to mark the location of 482 Confederates buried there in the Arlington Cemetery. I had been waiting 40 years, Ezekiel declared, to have my love of the South recognized. In fact, he was waiting in the White House receiving room to have an audience with President Taft when Ezekiel took from his pocket a, a pen and paper and began to sketch out his vision of the monument there in the White House. I would like to make a heroic bronze statue. These are his sketches. It would represent the South, a standing figure dignified and sorrowful with her right hand resting on the handle of a plow and her left hand extended holding out a laurel wreath whilst her head would be crowned with a wreath of olives. On the base would appear the inscription, this time, interestingly, from the Old Testament, Isaiah 2.4, and they shall turn their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. 
Beneath this, the circular body of a monument ought to have a high relief upon it representing the sacrifice and heroism of the men and the women of the South. William Jennings Bryant spoke at the laying of the cornerstone in 1912. Two years later, the towering 32-and-a-half-foot bronze figure would be dedicated by fellow Virginian Woodrow Wilson. It's the tallest monument even yet today in the cemetery. War, the war, First World War, and several pressing commissions would keep Ezekiel from attending the ceremonies. One of Ezekiel's most successful bronze portraits is that also found in, in uh, Virginia uh, over in Lynchburg. Uh, Senator John Daniels, perhaps you've seen it there. He's a major in the Confederate Army, and he receives a severe wound in his left leg during the Battle of the Wilderness and forevermore is known as the Lame Lion of Lynchburg in his years representing Virginia in the Senate. Ezekiel chose to model the senator positioned in his classical uh, Roman Senate chair, gesturing as if to make a point. Now, if you look down in the lower right corner there, in the National Geographic box that just appeared, you'll see a nude version of the senator. My apologies to the family. Uh, 100 years, this was, this was uh, Ezekiel's technique. Remember that time he spent a, a few blocks away at the museum, uh, at the uh, 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 medical college studying anatomy. This is how he puts it to use. First doing the form and then draping the, the clothing. 100 years before historians would debate whether Franklin Roosevelt should be sculpted seated in a wheelchair, heaven forbid, showing his infirmities, Ezekiel included the senator's ever-present crutches, symbolic of Daniel's sacrifice and his determination to overcome adversity. In a series of strange events that reads more like a short story by Edgar Allan Poe, Ezekiel was commissioned in 1907 to create a bronze portrait of the famous writer. The Women's Literary Club of Baltimore wished to have a statue completed for the centennial of Poe's birth, 1909. Uh, raising the necessary $20,000 progressed rather slowly. But Ezekiel agreed to donate half of the cost because of his admiration for the poet and also the fact that, as far as Ezekiel was concerned, they were both fellow Richmonders. The artist envisioned Poe seated in a classical chair adorned with images of the muses, of music and poetry surrounding him. Poe's head is tilted and he is rising slightly as if he is being summoned by these muses. Following his established procedure, Poe sculpted uh, uh, is sculpted in the nude here, and then, that is Poe's in the nude, Ezekiel, as far as we know, sculpted perfectly closed. Uh, <laughs> once the clay form was transferred into plaster, then it was created and shipped off to Ezekiel's foundry, where almost all of his bronze work was done in Berlin. Well, as the model said in the customs house, awaiting transport, disaster struck, just as if out of a short story by Poe. The customs house burned, destroying everything inside. A year passed before Ezekiel could prepare another plaster model for casting. Ready to ship to Berlin, Poe again was destroyed when an earthquake struck. Surely the spirit of Edgar Allan Poe was going to write the last chapter. Well, as the determined artist rallied yet a third model for the foundry, Italy was absorbed in World War. 
On January the 12th, 1917, a Baltimore newspaper recorded this. The heroic monument of Edgar Allan Poe, recently completed by Sir Moses in Rome, uh, will not be shipped to this country until conditions due to war shall have altered to make shipment perfectly safe. They weren't taking any chances on this, on this final one here. More than ordinary precautions should be taken to ensure the safe passage of the monument. One day... The article concluded with a bit of sarcasm. One day, the statue is to be erected in Baltimore, but no one was willing to guess when that would be. That day, in fact, finally came in October of 1921 when the statue was dedicated in Wyman Park. The project had taken 14 years to come to completion. The artist was not present, however. Six months earlier, Ezekiel himself had been buried in Arlington Cemetery. While organizing, while organizing the Red Cross in Italy to help relieve the suffering of wounded soldiers off the battlefield, just as he had done on a long Sunday afternoon at the Battle of Newmarket so many years earlier, the 73-year-old artist contracted pneumonia and died on March the 27th, 1917. In an envelope marked to be opened upon my death, Ezekiel expressed his desire to be buried with his comrades at the base of the Arlington Confederate Memorial. World War would keep Ezekiel's last request from being fulfilled until March the 30th, 1921. He wrote the inscription that's found on his stone there today. It is a simple statement. It simply reads, Moses Ezekiel, Sergeant, Company C, Battalion of Cadets, Virginia Military Institute. Ezekiel's monumental art was based on the classical models surrounding him in Rome and executed in the strong, dramatic traditions that he had learned at the Berlin Academy. He was the last great artist of a passing style, one might argue. By 1900, critics viewed Moses Ezekiel's works as passé, as stiff, unimaginative, particularly when compared to Rodin or Degas or Saint-Gaudin. Paris, you see, had supplanted Rome as the center of artistic inspiration. Now, I, I mentioned that the commission Ezekiel desired more than any other, that of Robert E. Lee, the creation of equestrian statue, uh, evaded him, uh, eluded him. Between 1880 and 1889, there were, in fact, three different competitions for a monument here in Richmond. Ezekiel made submissions for all three of them, but for various reasons, they did not come to be. The first effort was thwarted when the, when the organizer embezzled the funds and left town. Nothing like that would happen today, uh, I say with confidence. The second competition ended when Governor Kemper, who personally had selected Ezekiel, couldn't get the rest of the committee to agree with his decision, so Kemper called the competition to a halt. The final competition, uh, Ezekiel created a model for it, but tragically that wax model was destroyed in shipment between Washington and Richmond, so Ezekiel never felt that the committee had a proper opportunity to assess his work. 
negotiations continued for a period of time uh, unsuccessfully. And finally, the committee decided uh, that their disagreement was irreconcilable, and the project was ultimately completed in 1890 by Jean Merci, the monument that we have today, the grand statue that we have uh, on Monument Avenue today. A lot of the artistic disagreement centered around whether or not Lee should be wearing a hat on his statue. As you notice, both of Ezekiel's model and the, and the, and the sketch here have, Ze have Lee wearing a hat, which is the appropriate 19th century thing for a gentleman to do. But when Jean Marcy developed his design, he said that to cover that noble brow would be an indecency. And the statue that we, you are so familiar with on Monument Avenue today is hatless. Well, I would submit, however, that Moses Ezekiel's desire to create a lasting tribute to Robert E. Lee was, in fact, fulfilled, if not on Monument Avenue, perhaps even in a greater way. The vast body of work created and found worldwide today that spans a period of five decades over Ezekiel's life is what I would suggest to be the tribute to his hero. It was Lee, you recall, who admonished the young VMI cadet to pursue an art, but even more important than that, to earn a reputation in whatever you choose. And so he did. Thank you.